Go ahead and take your Bibles out and make your way with me over to Matthew chapter 11, the Gospel of Matthew, the 11th chapter. We left off in verse 20, so that is where we will pick up. I want to preface what I'm about to say by just admitting I'm really happy to have been born in the generation of people who can use phones to get around where we need to go, right? I'm I'm a pretty decent water navigator instinctually. I'm not a very good road navigator instinctually. I'm grateful for maps. But I just do have to say to you, I met a couple yesterday uh, who it took them six hours to get from Thompson, Georgia to North Shallow Road. If you're looking for a little bit of perspective, that should normally take somebody about two hours and 34 minutes according to Siri. You got options when you go from Thompson, Georgia to North Shallow Road. Typically, you would just hop on 20, you'd ride it toward Columbia, you can get on 77, cut across, come in through Rock Hill. That's a good option. If you want to take back roads, I like to do that. You can go a little faster like that sometimes. You just get, you start the same way, but when you get on 20, you get off on exit 5 in North Augusta, you ride 121, you take it up through Johnston and Trenton and Saluda, eventually you're going to come to Whitmire, you're going to go to Clinton, you're going to go to Union, you come in through Sharon and go that way. Those, those, those are your options. But this woman told me she had seen some things she didn't ever think she would see coming from Thompson, Georgia to North Shiloh Road uh, just yesterday because funny things happen. You end up funny places, places you didn't really expect to be when you take the wrong turn. If you recall in our text, we're picking up where we've watched Jesus now shift gears and talk about this generation. That's where he ended last week. This generation, these people who will not receive either me nor John the Baptist because we don't fit the mold they think we ought ought to fit. They've now rejected Jesus. They've made what we could call a spiritual wrong term. And you end up places you didn't really want to be sometimes when you make Wrong turns. Let's consider where Jesus says they have found themselves this morning in our text. Our text is Matthew eleven twenty through 30. Let me read it for us. Then he, Jesus, began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Will you be brought down to Hades? For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to me by my Father, and no one knows for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows to reveal him. Take my yoke, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we, uh, your people, come to sit under your word, to take it up, to look into it, to see what you stored up for us in it, we pray that right now you would use it in our lives, that your word would go out. We know that if it goes out, it will accomplish everything you send it to do. It will not return to you void. So, Lord, we ask that you would reap a harvest among us right here to change us, to conform us more to your image, to save sinners this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, brothers and sisters, it's pretty easy. If you uh, take a spiritual wrong turn, the type of spiritual wrong turn of rejecting the Lord Jesus like we see happen in this text, where are you going to end up? The first place you're going to end up, the first place you're going to find yourself like these folks is they wound up somewhere in the middle of nonsensical rejection of Jesus. A nonsensical rejection of Jesus. The, the rejection part's pretty clear. It's right there for you in verse 20. He began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Do you need me to refresh you that they were commanded to repent? Of course they were commanded to repent. They've been commanded to repent plenty of times. John the Baptist came and he said, hey, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus comes preaching. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A couple chapters ago, we see Jesus now commission these disciples to go out and preach what he's been preaching. So, of course, they've been commanded to repent. Of course, they've been told to repent. They've heard the command to repent come from Jesus' ministry loudly and clearly. And they've said no. And Jesus calls that rejection. You refuse to repent. There's the rejection part. Where's the nonsensical part? The nonsensical part's all over the rest of that first section there. Hey, uh, Chorazin, Bethsaida, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. Hey, uh, Capernaum, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, You've seen it. You've looked upon the Lord Jesus. You've seen what he's done. Now, brothers and sisters, you know there, there are plenty of people out here today who are rejecting the Lord Jesus. That, that doesn't su surprise you. Uh, there are plenty of people who, who say things these days like, you know, I just don't understand how uh, there could be a good sovereign God and all these evil things happen. There, there are people who... Uh, we'll say things like, you've got all these hypocritical Christians out here. I, I, I can't do that. I, I don't want us to act like those things aren't real. But I also don't want us to treat those things like they're not excuses. They, they are excuses. Just because you don't understand exactly how something fits together, it doesn't mean that it's not real or, or legitimate. I couldn't give you a super robust definition, explanation of gravity right now. Neither do I think I could jump up and touch the ceiling. Okay? So just because I don't know exactly how it all fits, that mean I, I, think, I don't think it's real. That's, that, that's, that's not legitimate. In the same way, uh, just because some Christians do a poor job or some so-called Christians do a poor job of following Christ, it doesn't mean that Christ doesn't know what he's doing. Colton Green went to see uh, Caleb preach this morning, and he told me I could pick on him in his absence, so, so I'm going to do that. Colton Green's a big guitar guy, a big country music, little singer-type singer guy. If we got Colton Green to come up here and I turned him loose and let him sing Amarillo by morning, you wouldn't go out in the parking lot and be like, man, that George Strait guy can't sing. You might say it's time to find a new church, but it wouldn't be because there's deficiencies in George Strait, right? Colton Green's inability to sing Amarillo by morning is not a reflection on George Strait as a singer. So brothers and sisters, you've got to hear that for what it is. That, that's not excusable. When people today reject the Lord Jesus, their rejection is still inexcusable. But I do just have to point out something unique for us, like the text does, about Bethsaida and Chorazin and Capernaum. They saw it. They were Jewish people 
who are largely familiar with the scriptures that we've seen, stuff like we saw last week, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61, the same things that Jesus points John the Baptist to. They've seen the mighty works Jesus has done, the mighty works foretold in the Old Testament that the Messiah would do when he came. So to make it plain and clear, plain and clear to the people, unavoidable to the people that the Messiah had indeed come. Kingdom of heaven has come, broken out in your midst. They've seen it. And they've rejected him anyway. All the things they were told the Messiah is going to do, they miss it because the Messiah won't fit in their box. And so we've got this people who should have known, who should have seen it, who watched it happen in front of them and missed it. They blatantly rejected Jesus. It got to the point to when their leaders were asked to explain what was going on. They said in 934, hey, he cast out demons by the prince of demons. That's about as strong of a rejection as you can get. They've made what you would call a spiritual wrong turn. And these towns that have now followed them, they're mostly missing out on it as well. This is where they're at. Because Jesus then says in no uncertain terms that this nonsensical rejection will come. At a great cost. Woe. Woe to you. Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Look out. Capernaum. We don't go around saying woe like that. We don't usually, you probably don't say, you don't pronounce woes on people. You probably don't use that. It's kind of like the way we'd say, look out. Look out now. Look, watch out. Watch out. Hold on a second. Hold on a second, Chorazin. You might just want to check what you got going on, Bethsaida. You might want to pay attention, Capernaum. Woe, woe to you. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. They would have responded rightly. They would have put on sackcloth and ashes, Tyre and Sidon. You probably don't know a ton about Tyre and Sidon off the top of your head. That's okay. You don't have to. What you got to know to get it, they're big cities in Phoenicia, which means they're like quintessential pagans. They're people who don't know the Lord, don't have nothing to do with the Lord, don't want to know the Lord. They live in their own country. They got their own gods. And Jesus says, if I would have showed up there in the capital of paganism and done what I'm doing here in these communities that claim to know the Lord and claim to know his word and claim to want a relationship with him, if I would have done that, they would have repented. They would have put on sackcloth and ashes. Consequently, the point is, it's going to be much, much better for Tyre and Sidon on the Day of Judgment than for places like Chorazin and Bethsaida. Sodom. What about Sodom? Sodom's who Capernaum's end up getting paired to. Do you remember Sodom? Anybody remember Sodom? This is 19. Do I, do I have to remind you how bad things were in Sodom? Things got so bad in Sodom the men of the town were trying to bust down the door to get to the men who were traveling, who'd come to stay with Lot. Not because they wanted to fight them, not because they wanted to kill them, because they wanted them. That's how bad it got. And again, if you recall, the Lord showed pretty clearly how he felt about that. He smited them off the face of the earth. Abraham showed up the next morning to see what was going on, and the place was still smoking. And Jesus said, be a lot better for Sodom than it's going to be for Capernaum. Capernaum, what about, what about Capernaum? I've been to Capernaum. 
I've walked the streets in Capernaum. You walk up to Capernaum right now, you go through the little gates they got there. They got this big tile mosaic on the left side. It says, Capernaum, the town of Jesus. Capernaum seems to be where Peter's house was. Peter's house, if you recall, seems to be functioning as kind of home base during Jesus' traveling ministry. Do you think Capernaum got their fill of Jesus? Like, do you think Capernaum saw Jesus do some things? We know from chapter 8, verse 16, they did. Jesus is at Peter's house. They bring all these people to Jesus. Jesus heals all kinds of diseases and afflictions. All that. Chapter 8, verse 16. Tells you it happened. Tells you it went down. You don't have to wonder if Capernaum saw and should have seen and should have understood. Of course. Jewish town, synagogues right next door to Peter's house. They had the information they needed. And so Jesus turns and says, you've seen it and you've still rejected me. It's nonsensical and it comes at a great, great cost. The cost for you, Capernaum, is you're going to look on Sodom in the day of judgment and say, man, I wish we were them. Man, I wish we had it that good. I I wish we had things that easy. It's going to be way worse for you, Capernaum, on the day of judgment than for the land of Sodom. Brothers and sisters, may I just take a moment to see if I can make it a little applicable to you. Woe to you, Bible Belt. If it was clear to Bethsaida, if it was clear to Chorazin, if it should have been clear to Capernaum, what, what do you think the Lord's going to say to us? Brothers and sisters, we, we live in a land, we live in a section of a land, we live in a, in a town, we can go to Walmart and get a Bible right now. You got gospel resources all over the place right now. Jim was just telling me the other week, we got a, a gospel track printing press in York, South Carolina. You got as much gospel witness as you can handle. We're in a church-saturated community. I understand not every church is healthy. I understand not every church is, is preaching the Bible. I got you. But here's just what I do want you to think about for a second. Let's imagine you're in a church that's faithfully preaching the Bible over the long haul, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, line by line, pointing you to the scriptures, proclaiming the gospel, exalting Jesus, and you still reject it. And you never conform your life to him. What do you think is going to happen to you? Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 47, 48, Hey, that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, he will receive a severe beating. The one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, he will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given... Of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Brothers and sisters, just be aware. Just be warned. How much do you think you've been entrusted with? The answer is much. How much are you going to be accountable for? The answer is much. If you don't think this is relevant to you, it's relevant to you. The gospel has been proclaimed loudly and clearly. It's all around you. You can't hardly escape it in the region of the country that we live in. You're going to have to give an account for what's been made clear to you that you've rejected. And then, Jesus gives us some insight. Because even though there is this nonsensical rejection, this nonsensical rejection that incurs this great, great cost, Jesus certainly understands the spiritual reality behind it. It might be nonsensical, but Jesus gets it, and Jesus wants us to get it. He wants us to understand the spiritual reality behind it. Verse 25. At that time, 
Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. How come they miss it? How come they miss it? How come these people, these places, places like Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, people to look all around Jesus, how come they see what's going on and they miss it? text says really clearly that for those who think themselves wise, those who think themselves understanding, those who think themselves sufficient in and of themselves to look out and see what's going on and connect the dots and put it all together, and they think they're real smart and they got it figured out, God's actively hidden it from them. They can't see. They can't look out and perceive it. Sure, they see Jesus doing these works, but then they turn around like we saw in chapter 9, verse 34, and say, Prince of Demons. But that's what it is. They can't see. They don't have eyes to see. They've not been given, granted, the spiritual eyes. They need to see the data, perceive the data, understand it, put it together, and rightly respond. They're blind. They're stuck in their sin, and their sin is encased them. The Lord has hidden the plain reality from them because they think they get it. They think they're wise enough. They think they're smart enough. They think their works are good enough. And the Lord says, it from you. You can look and you ain't going to see it. You're like Isaiah 6. We'll see it again in Matthew 13. You're looking and you're not seeing. You're hearing, you're not perceiving. You're not understanding. But then you got these other people, don't you? you got these other people who, who it's been revealed to. And, and you think about that and you're like, this is the point in the time where I'm expecting some of you to say, hmm, what's going on here? What's going on here? And I'm just going to refer you back Last week, we talked about what is our bottom line brass tax standard. Where do we draw our line? And I said, we got to draw our line on the biblical data and what the biblical data says. And here's what the biblical data says. Biblical data, back in Isaiah chapter 29, a text that talks about all these messianic things. A lot of what we saw in 35 last week. The blind hearing, I mean the blind seeing and the deaf hearing. All, that, all those things are going to accompany the reign of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14 it tells us unmistakably that God is going to destroy the wisdom of the wise and to thwart the discernment of the discerning, or the understanding of those who are confident in and of themselves they understand. That's what we're seeing happen here. So this shouldn't surprise you. If it does surprise you, it shouldn't surprise you because even in the Old Testament, the Lord said, I'm going to destroy their understanding. I'm going to make it so that those who think they're wise end up looking like fools. The Lord has said that he was going to do that. You've already heard it in the New Testament this morning. Matt read that chapter for us, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's exactly what it's talking about. For those who are looking for signs, for those who are looking for wisdom, they're going to miss it because salvation comes through the folly of what we preach. The Lord has made this thing happen in such a way that unless he gives you eyes to see and ears to hear as you look on the gospel, you will never see it. The Lord has to do a work in you so that you can see it. And if you don't have that work done in you, if you don't become like little children, if you think you're wise and understanding, you will miss it every single time. The Lord has done that according to what we read in 1 Corinthians 1 this morning so that if anyone's going to boast, you're going to have to boast in the Lord. Not because I'm smart enough, not because I'm wise enough. It's actually because I knew I wasn't smart enough and because I knew I wasn't wise enough and because I knew I didn't bring anything to the table. Back in Matthew 11, this is the same reality that we're dealing with. And Jesus uses the words here. You've hidden these things from the wise understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. 
That's not a new image. Maybe remember the other week, chapter 10, verse 42. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he calls them little ones. You remember that means they don't think they're, they don't think they're independent. Right? Eight-year-olds not going down to the store, whipping out the debit card, buying shoes. Mom, Dad, I need a pair of shoes. Ten-year-old not going to the store and getting uh, three-course meal ingredients, come back and cooking up on the stove. They don't do that. Little ones. Dependent. Very different than those who think themselves wise. Very different than those who think themselves understanding. Little children. Do you know your dependence upon the Lord? There's a big divide between those who have this reality hidden from them and those who have this reality revealed to them. And, and if you hear that and you're saying, what's going on? What's going on? Thomas, this makes me a little uncomfortable. It makes me a little uncomfortable that the Bible says God's actively hiding things from some people and revealing things to other people who know they're dependent on him. That makes me a little uncomfortable. Let me help you out. Verse 26 Verse 26 bails us out. It keeps us from having to try to play little games with our Bible to make it say stuff it doesn't say. We can just read verse 26 and it'll make it all make sense. Father, such was your gracious will. Jesus says that the fact that some of these things, the the, the things are hidden from some and revealed to others, he defines it. Jesus, not me. Jesus defines it as grace. This is good news. This is good. Why is it good? Why is it grace? How do we make it all make sense? I guess it depends on your understanding of the gospel. Do you really believe that we all, every one of us, are created by a just and holy and righteous God? who owns us, whose authority we are under, to whom we must give an account. Do you really believe that he's got a standard? Do you really believe that we've fallen short of that standard? Do you really believe what the Bible teaches, that every one of us deserves hell? Do you really believe that the God who in Exodus 34 said, I will forgive sin, but I will not clear the guilty. Do you, have you connected the dots and realized that means you ought to go to hell. You ought to be condemned. I ought to be condemned. Brothers and sisters, it, it shouldn't have been revealed to you. If you can see it, it's called grace. We should have all been condemned. The fact that any can see it. The fact that the Lord would do work in anybody's heart so that they could see and perceive and understand and rightly respond to Jesus. That's called grace. Jesus says, Father, that's gracious and I thank you for doing it. Do you understand? That anything that comes after the but, we're condemned, but. Dead in our trespass sins, but. You understand anything that comes after that but is grace every single time. The just and holy righteous God who's created us and owes us judgment has actually sent his son, Jesus, to live and to die and to rise in our place to establish our righteousness, to pay for the forgiveness of our sins so that any who will turn from their sin and put their trust in him can be liberated from sin and death and the eternal punishment called hell. That's all grace, brothers and sisters. The Lord doesn't owe you that. The Lord doesn't owe any of us heaven. We're not, it's not like we start off in heaven and then we work our way to hell. We start off in the pits of hell and the Lord's got to snatch us out of there. That's what the Bible teaches. 
Lord Jesus makes that really clear for us this morning. But you see those two responses, right? You see the hidden response and the revealed response. For those who have it hidden, they look at what's going on. And like Matt read earlier, they look on this message and say, that's, that's foolish. I don't understand it. What do you mean there, there's this carpenter who lived and, and died and rose from the dead? We, like, we don't understand. They miss it. But for those who are, who it's revealed to, to those who can see it, well, they look and they see Jesus is more valuable than anything else. They want Jesus more than they want anything else. They don't want their sin nearly as much as they want Jesus. And so, they actually respond to his claim on their lives and they say, we'll let go of our claim on our lives. And we'll take hold of you and we'll acknowledge your claim on our lives. And brothers and sisters, Jesus surely does have the right to make a claim on their lives, doesn't he? Verse 27. Just in case you were looking for another really crystal clear statement that Jesus is God to add to your collection from last week. Verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses... To reveal him. Thomas, what's going on? I thought the revealing business was about the will of the Father. I thought that was a will of the Father type thing. You're right. I did say that. Jesus said that in verse 26. Such was your gracious will. But then Jesus says, into the Son. The Son chooses to reveal. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, this is the doctrine of the Trinity. This is the reality, that though the Father and the Son are very distinct in terms of being persons, they have the exact same essence, they have the exact same nature, they share the exact same will. What the Father wants, the Son wants. For that matter, what the Father and the Son want, the Holy Spirit wants. Of one nature, of one essence, of one will. Jesus says, authority has been given to, to me. I'm in the revealing business. The Father and the Son are, are graciously revealing the kingdom of heaven to those who are willing to receive it on the king's terms. Is that you? Is that you? Are you willing to receive the kingdom on the king's terms? Let me just remind you, that means you've got to come like a little child. You've got to come knowing you're dependent. You've got to come to the table as someone who's poor in spirit. That's who the kingdom of heaven belongs to. You've got to know that when you come to the table with God, you don't bring nothing. And that everything in, in you that's good is from him. And if that's you, if you're, you're willing to come like a little child, and you're willing to accept the kingdom on the king's terms, and Jesus invites you to. Here's your invitation to make the right term and come to Jesus. Verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Laboring, heavy laden. What's, what's going on there? Well, surely, by this point in time in the Gospel of Matthew, you're, you're aware of who the chief opponents of Jesus are. We're talking about the scribes, the Pharisees. We've seen them over and over. Jesus has already interacted with them. Jesus is going to act, interact with them a whole lot more. But what, what, are, what, are, what are they doing? Well, chapter 23 is going to go on to tell us that these scribes and Pharisees, they tie up heavy burdens that are hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. 
scribes and the Pharisees take the Old Testament law really, really seriously, though they've clearly misinterpreted as Jesus has shown us in Matthew chapter 5. But they're, they're trying to be so serious about this thing that they've got their own set of rules, their own set of regulations, their own traditions and customs that they're trying to uphold and spread to other people so that they won't break the law or their traditions. That's them. And what it's left the people with is a very man-centered, man-made religion where everything comes down to your ability to do the right thing or not do the right thing. You're a good person if you do all the right things and avoid all the wrong things. You're a bad person if you don't. They've centered it on their works. And Jesus says, shouldn't be like that. If you are weary, if you are worn down, if you feel this burden, if you know you're heavy laden, then, then, then I'm inviting you, Jesus says, to come to me like a little child, and I'm going to give you rest. Jesus has a very, very different path, brothers and sisters. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is life. Now, church, I just need you to hang with me for just a second. For just a second, okay? You know, don't you? You know that I believe that God's holy and just and righteous. You know that, right? You know that I believe that God is the judge. You know that I don't have a problem talking about judgment. You heard me. You heard my John the Baptist rant last week, right? You heard that. You're here for that. You know I believe that. I just need to hang with me for, for just a second. Because even as I believe that God's holy, and I believe that God hates sin, and I believe that God is severe with those who reject him and would not accept his, his terms on his conditions, we can't miss 29. 29 is a unique verse, brothers and sisters, because here's what, here's what just happened. Jesus defines himself. For his father, he said, if you want to know me, if you would like to know something about me, people who are willing to come to me as little children, people who want rest and are willing to come to me and seek it, like, here's what you, here's what you need to know about me. I am gentle and lowly, or meek and humble. I hope you get the point. Jesus just said, like, I'm tender. I'm, I'm tender in my affection for my people, for those who see their need and realize they're not the solution, realize I'm the solution. Like, I'm tender and gentle and even lowly towards those people. Of course you know Jesus is lowly towards those people. You watched him wash their feet, right? You read the Gospel of John. This is how Jesus defines himself, how he defines his ministry to those who will come to him like little children. The same Lord Jesus that we see in John 2 turning over tables and making whips and the same Lord Jesus that we see telling these Pharisees that Satan's their daddy and the same Lord Jesus who uh, we see in Matthew 7 telling these people to depart from him, I, I didn't know you. He's the same Lord Jesus who says in verse 29 towards his followers, I'm gentle and lowly, I'm meek and humble, I'm tender in my affection towards those people. Brothers and sisters, this is, not, this is not about bearing a burden. Jesus' path is not about how much you can do or how much you can avoid doing. It's, it's about knowing that you're not enough and that he's got to save you. 
It's about knowing that you have to put all of your trust in him. And brothers and sisters, if you put all of your trust in him, surely you will be changed. Surely you would take his yoke. Surely you would seek his burden. Something's got to explain all that though, doesn't it? Like, like, doesn't something have to explain how the same Jesus in Revelation 19 is the same Jesus in, in verse 29, or even how the same Jesus in, is in verse 29 is in verses 24 through 27? Like, you heard him say, woe to all these people. You heard him say, look out. You heard him say, watch what's coming to you. What explains that? I think it may be best captured by a story that we're going to get to. It's a parable. It's over in chapter 21. We'll get there a few weeks, maybe, I'll eventually, a few months, next year, I don't know. Um, but when we get there, what you're going to see? There's these tenants. There's these people who are working this land. And the Lord sends his messengers to them to get what's his, to receive what's rightfully his. And, and the tenants take every one of his servants, and they reject them, kill them, they don't want anything to do with them. And so... The owner of the vineyard, he says, well, I'll, have to, I'll just have to send my son then. If I send my son, surely they'll respect my son. My son's the heir. Surely these people, surely they'll respect my son. And he sends his son. And the people who've been leasing the vineyard, they, they reject his son. And they kill his son. They have anything to do with him. And the parable ends... Now Jesus is saying, what's the owner going to do? He's going to take it away from him. Takes the vineyard. No, you, you, you people cannot lease it anymore. I'm going to take it. And I'm going to give it to people who are actually willing to serve me and the people who actually want to serve me. And the people who didn't serve him and didn't want to serve him and rejected his messengers, they get quite a severe judgment. And when the scribes and the Pharisees hear him say that, they know who he's talking about. A little later, in chapter 23, part of the same conversation where Jesus is talking about the, the scribes and the Pharisees who load up these heavy burdens on these people who want to follow the Lord, and they make them do all these things that are man-made religion that the Lord never commanded his people to do. They missed the whole point. In, in that story, later on in 23, Jesus says this. He's coming to Jerusalem. It's on the week of his crucifixion, and he stands over Jerusalem, and he says, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often, how often I would have, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. You were not willing. Jesus says to that city, that capital city, the capital city of Judaism, the capital city where these scribes and the Pharisees and the people they influence are at, they're all gathered there for the Passover. He looks at that city and those people, the same people who live in Chorazin and Bethsaida. And he says, the problem is you weren't willing. I was willing. I was like a hen who wanted to spread her wings over her chicks. And you weren't willing. You want to do it your way. You missed it. The problem is they miss it because they didn't 
They didn't have the eyes to see or understand that God was doing a new work in Christ Jesus. They didn't have those eyes to see because they thought themselves wise. They thought themselves understanding. They thought themselves self-sufficient. And so guess what the text says happened? The text says, the Lord hid it from them. How do they miss it? How do they miss it? Like, how, how, why aren't these people willing? Very clear. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. They miss. They don't have the eyes to see. What about those who do? What about those to whom it's revealed? What about those who are willing to come as little children and say, I know there's a problem. I know I'm not the solution. I know I'm radically dependent on you. What about those people? Jesus says, for those people, my yoke's easy. For those people, my burden is light. How is it easy? How is it easy and light for some? And how is it severe for others? So severe for others, these people like Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum who get compared to to Tyre and Sidon and Sodom. For some people, they find it easy. For some people, they find it light. For other people, severe. Because at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious Will. Maybe you remember our friend Nicodemus. Our friend Nicodemus who came to Jesus in the night, in John chapter 3, and Jesus said to him, you remember, hey, truly, truly, Nicodemus, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. Same reality. We're dealing with the same thing. When you read verses 25 and 26, it's talking about we've got to have these eyes so that we can see. Unless a man's born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. We need this gift of the Lord so that we can see and rightly understand what God is doing in Jesus Christ. If that happens to you, if you see that, if that clicks for you, if you come to Jesus like a little child, knowing that it's not about your ability to work yourself back to God, it's about your trust and dependence on the Lord Jesus, well then guess what? That new birth has happened to you. You have the eyes you need to see because you've come as a little child. And the result is, as the Apostle John goes on to tell us, hey, he's got commandments, he's got burdens. You've read chapter five, you know he fills up the law, you know it's even more strict than the Pharisees thought it was, but guess what? The Apostle John says, for those people who've got this new heart and their spirit's been removed and the spirit of the Lord has been given to them, he's got plenty of commandments, they're not burdensome. Because we've been changed. We've been born again. We've been given eyes to see that the all-surpassing worth of Jesus is infinitely better than anything else we would trade for him. He's got plenty of commandments. His commandments are not burdens. That's what the text said. But Thomas, Thomas, what do you do? What do you do about the fact that the Bible just very clearly said that the Lord is actively involved in hiding things from some and revealing things to others and that there's going to be hell to pay for the people who reject the Lord Jesus. What do you do about that? I don't do anything about that. 
Why would I do anything about it? Like our friend Charles Spurgeon said, the Bible very clearly teaches both of those things like they're true. I'm not in the business of reconciling friends. The Bible very clearly says that the Lord has to reveal this to you. You've got to be born again to see the kingdom of God. I didn't say that. Jesus said that in John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus said that. The Bible teaches that. And it teaches that if you continue in your willful rejection of Jesus because you're not willing to admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and come to him like a little child, you're going to be the one condemned for it. I'm not interested in reconciling friends. But I will explain it to you. I will clarify it for you just a little bit. If it helps you sleep better tonight, if it makes your lunch taste better after you leave here, I will clarify it just a little bit. The fact that the Lord has to do a work in you to give you eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart that's soft and malleable and pliable to his will, he's got to remove your spirit and give you his spirit. That all has to happen for you to turn from your sin and put your trust in him to desire to seek him, to make you come to him like a little child. Here's what that does for you. Here's where that leaves us. It means that if anyone's going to boast, he's got to boast in the Lord. It means that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. It means that God alone gets the glory. And if it's the Lord that has to give us this desire, what that means for us is there is no one ever anywhere in the history of the world, and there never will be a person in the history of the world who wants a relationship with Jesus who can't have one. Because if the Lord has given you a desire for the Lord to turn from your sin and seek him, the Lord's going to begin, the Lord's going to end the work that he's begun in you. He will bring to completion at the day of Christ Jesus the work he's begun in you. And the work he's begun in you is what Jesus told Nicodemus. You got to be born again. The Lord's got to give you a new heart. The Lord's got to remove your spirit and give you his spirit. If that's happened to you, brothers and sisters, if you desire to come to the Lord like a little child, knowing that you're dependent on him, you can have radical trust that he's going to take you home. You can have radical trust that though you've gone through many dangers and toils and snares, he's going to continue to keep you. His grace has saved you, and his grace will lead you home. For others, I got to warn you, because it's my job. If you've heard who Jesus is and you still don't want to come, all I can tell you is that your rejection of Jesus is nonsensical and it's going to incur great, great costs. These words that I've just spoken will echo in eternity because to whom much has been given, much is going to be expected. If Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum didn't get away, you ain't getting away neither. Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we come and we do stand amazed at your word. We stand amazed at the wisdom of your plan to save sinners by your grace in a way that means that we can't take any credit. We can't say that we're wise enough. We can't say that we're smart enough. We can't say that we've thought our way to you or worked our way to you. All we can say is we are little children and we desperately need your help. So Lord, remind us right now, for those of us who put our trust in you, that we are little children, that we are dependent on you, that whatever comes our way the rest of this day, the rest of this week, we can lean on you and look to you because you are the one who's begun a good work in us and you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Oh Lord. Give those of us who are saved more and more confidence in you. And Lord, I pray for any of those who are here who are stuck in the, in the nonsensical pattern of rejecting the Lord Jesus, the true Lord Jesus revealed in the scriptures. 
who demands our allegiance, who demands that we come to him as our greatest treasure. Lord, I pray. I pray, Lord, that you would do the work this morning of doing what you've always done by revealing to those who are willing to come as little children dependent on you, that you would reveal who Jesus is. That you would reveal that he really is the most worthy of our worship and praise and honor. That's him. No one else, nothing else. Lord, we ask that you do that work in our hearts right now, even as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm going to be at the front uh, worshiping with you guys. If there's anything you'd like to talk to me about or pray with me about, I'd be happy to do that now.